hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club, a music podcast from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I'm Spike. That's Mootloo. Yo, yo, yo. How we doing? Oh, well, uh, you know, I mean, um, well, this is going to be dated in two weeks. Yeah, we can't talk about Embiid. It could sound completely ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well, that news aside, which hopefully in the future sounds is amazing, yep. and yep. we're rolling to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, hopefully that aside, everything's good, man. Do you, so we've, we've talked a couple of times in the last couple of pods about your upcoming fall tour, which is not completely announced yet. Just a date here, a date there. The, I saw the Daryl's house, uh, listing. Do you, like you haven't performed in, <laughs> in a year and a half is, do you, do you have to rehearse? Like what is, what is the process like that for you? Well, I tour solo, so... Uh, oh, right. I, so there's nothing to rehearse. Yeah, there's no one to get together and, and rehearse with. I mean, I play every day, you know, some days more than others. Some days I'm more just uh, trying to fish around for ideas or work on something. Other days I'm just playing through tunes. But uh, yeah, there's that's the thing. There's no... When you're like a solo act, there's no rehearsal. Now, it does make it a little bit challenging sometimes when from time to time I'll put a band together and I'm so used to like touring, especially if I've been touring a lot solo mm-hmm. and I have to suddenly get together with other players. There's like a readjustment to, to playing with a band and, but it feels so good when I get that opportunity. So to play with a band. Yeah. But just the economics of my career, yeah. whether I'm a support act or whether I'm a headliner, it's just, that's how I've done it for, for years and years, all the tours with Amos, all the tours with Hall Notes. Uh, I've always just played solo. <coughs> the um, <clears throat> I remember it's not the same thing, but I'm trying to trying to use empathy to feel how you feel. There's such a difference between like playing a guitar by yourself and the first time that you play with other people. Like you're talking about how amazing it is to play with a band. It just it might as well not even be the same thing. You know, yeah. I, the, the, the only way I could describe it for anyone who likes sports, like it is a lot like going to a playground and shooting around yourself and then six people coming and you playing three on three and you're like, oh, like, that was a skill, but this is a sport, you right. know? Now, obviously you can play music by yourself and, and you're very good at doing it by yourself, but, but with everybody is like a different experience. I would, yeah, I would it's guess. completely, and, and the basketball analogy is a good one because once you're playing on a team whether it's uh, three on three or full court whatever it is you suddenly have to be mindful of what everyone else is doing you have to find your spots that is synergistic with what your teammates are doing as opposed to when you're just shooting around you're you're kind of or if you're playing Mm one-on-one you have all the space in the world that's kind of the same thing with music an adjustment for me sometimes is because i'm carrying the sound when i'm playing solo I dig in or I play more. And sometimes when I get together with a three-piece or a four-piece band, all of a sudden there's not a need for me right. to do as much. And that's kind of almost, it takes a little bit of like transitioning back to that mindset, uh, you know, that sometimes I can just lay out maybe or just play a more minimal part or something, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you're solo acoustic especially, you're just always trying to fill the sound However, however you can do it, you know, and I, I don't really like to play loud. I don't use a pick. I like to, I strum, but I like to finger pick a lot too. So I don't even think that I play that loud. So I, I try to play full 
And, you know, but suddenly when you're with a band, there's that need is not the same anymore. Amazingly, as a consumer, as a music consumer, there's something so special about solo acoustic stuff, especially when you see somebody who you normally see with a band doing the solo acoustic thing. Like, th there's so many concerts I've been to where you get so excited when it's the full band concert, but the singer's going to come out and do three songs yeah. on his own <laughs> with the acoustic guitar. It's so bare up there and you can hear everything. And, you know, I've seen so many good shows like that, but, and some of my favorite artists, when I've seen like that, I've, I've seen, like I've loved even more. So there's definitely positives and negatives to both, I think. Yeah, I was thinking about Butch Walker. Mm -hmm. Does he sort of go back and forth between band and solo? Because he's a guy who works a lot solo, right? Yeah, so he does both, and he's really good at both. He when he does full band, it's full rock star thing, right? Like right. it's like front man full <laughs> solos and throwing the guitar over your head and blah 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 blah. <laughs> but I've seen him like at Joe's pub in New York doing solo acoustic, and then the charity shows he does in California. And I've seen him do all. I saw him do another benefit thing in D.C. He does all of them, like, great. He's a, a guy that can bounce from one to the other and make them completely separate experiences with the same songs, you know? Yeah, and that's what you want to... You want to make that solo show something special, something distinctive from what the band experience would be. Now, my thing is, I like to... I like to try to... I don't want to just go up there and play songs. This is another adjustment I've noticed between solo and playing with the band. Because I play so much solo... Uh, especially if it's my own headlining show, I talk a good amount. Like I want to oh, yeah. tell some stories behind the songs. I maybe get into some silliness if I'm in that mood. You mm -hmm. know, maybe bust out a sitcom song here and there. Whatever. I I like to leave it open so I have a lot of room. Now when, with the band, you don't want to do quite as much of that. You want to have an arc yeah. to the show that incorporates segues. Maybe maybe you don't stop after every song. Maybe some songs kind of spill into another. So even that dynamic of the between song transitions is something that is different is a very different experience well i'm excited to see you see you out there buddy um, yeah thanks man it's crazy it's like the fall is shaping up to be busy and um yeah it's like almost surreal like i'm looking at the itinerary it's coming together it's it's interesting to watch a business that i've been part of a, for a long time sort of thrust back to life you know uh yeah. and, and i gotta give you credit man back in december january you called it you called it, you called it. You said, listen, man, summer, fall, it's going to it's gonna come roaring back. And, and I honestly was skeptical. I didn't see that. And right on the money, I mean, it's, it's happening. Summer and fall, especially for, I've got a few dates in, in, the, in the summer, but the fall is like looking really full, you know, and uh, hopefully I'll have many more date announces in the coming weeks. The one thing that's interesting is different markets, different rooms are coming back at different times. Yeah, well, that's not all that surprising. You right, know? Yeah. yeah. Some places are already fully back. Others are kind of doing a limited schedule, a limited cap still. Some are, like, even with the restrictions being removed, aren't ready to open because they right. have to kind of kick back into gear. It's just a... It's Something a, tells me that the Florida and Texas rooms are ready to roll. Yeah, they're rolling already. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you play... Either New York or Philly. We'll have to figure out a night where I'll try to get 
Carl listeners out to come see you and Hell just yeah. fucking heckle you until you play <laughs> sitcom songs. I'll know the hecklers are the Carl listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Make a play driver's license. I know he knows some words. Make a play driver's license. So, so I'll take uh, some requests, some sitcoms, some, yeah, uh, yeah. some uh, contemporary pop hits. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Gary play emo. He knows some fucking emo. I know he does. What was the tune? What was the tune? Uh, why am I forgetting that song now? The the band. Uh, oh, I don't remember. Uh, au revoir. Au revoir. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, play the front bottoms. Yeah. Yeah. Probably gonna leave real I yeah. learned something like I haven't been I went through this heavy heavy phase where I was just learning cover after cover and then a couple yeah. months ago I kind of got burned out on it yeah yeah but yeah I was just like I need to take a breather from it but I do have this whole co- catalog of covers so maybe I'll have to do a show or maybe when we get to the point where we could do a Carl show that would be awesome. We'll go back through and do like a Carl's Greatest Hits or something. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Speaking of the Carl, this is the podcast. It is a music appreciation podcast where we talk about two albums a week. It used to be three. And the albums come from Mootloo picks an album or I pick an album. It rotates. And a listener picks an album. We all listen to them and, and talk about them. Usually the, the albums are usually new to us in some way. So if you want to suggest an album, you do it in the Apple podcast reviews. Leave us five stars, leave us your name, and in the review, leave us the album you want, and then grip it, rip it, and move on. <laughs> Today's podcast is about two albums. Mootloo's choice is Robert Palmer's Sneak and Sally Through the Alley. The listener selection is actually came from a person that I know and I didn't know that he selected an album until I picked the album, I sent it to you, and then I went and I found the review. So uh, the listener selection is Fountains of Wayne's self-titled debut from 1996. The album was selected by Apple podcast user Dustin Godsey. So Dustin works for the Milwaukee fucking Bucks. Right. I He uh, he showed us a lot of love on Twitter. That was awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I felt like he... The review he wrote, and then what he said uh, said to us on Twitter, I feel like he really got the essence of the of what yeah. It was it was nice to see him. It's like I haven't seen Dustin in well, no, I saw him at Fly the Process briefly, and but he used to work here. He's from here, and he used to work at the Wells Fargo Center. So now he works for the Bucks. His review, my new favorite music podcast, such a great format. This is a music appreciation, not a music critique podcast. It's fun listening to two people who obviously love music, talking about albums that they love, also giving a shot to things they wouldn't. My album recommendation is Fountains of Wayne's self-titled debut. My first exposure to Fountains of Wayne was as the opener to Smashing Pumpkins in 1997, the first rock show I ever attended. I don't think the rest of the crowd quite knew what to make of them, but even in my Peppermint Schnapps 101 (laughs) uh, induced haze, I was taken. Maybe it was the fact they were the first live music I'd ever seen. Maybe it's because it was perfect pop hooks. Maybe it was the Schnapps, but I immediately went out and bought the album. I love it to this day. So great review. Here you go, Dustin. Why don't we do your album first? And cool. that is Robert Palmer's Sneak and Sally Through the Alley. Yes, indeed. Sneak and Sally Through the Alley. You got me foxed and you know I ain't a liar. Come on, baby, help me try and find out 
little background on Robert Palmer because I think a lot of people, myself included, until a number of years ago, mm-hmm. have a very specific perception of Robert Palmer. As do I. <laughs> so like, did, this, did this blow your mind listening to yeah, this? Yeah. Yeah. My, my, we were in the car and my wife was like, anytime I'll have one of your albums on, she's like, what is this? Because it's <laughs> not something I would normally put on. And I'm like, it's Robert Palmer, Simply Irresistible guy. Basically, 007 singer, right, Robert Palmer. Exa- that's a great way of putting it. Very and James that, Bond-esque. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into it, obviously, but I was stunned listening to it. Yeah. That was my, when I first discovered this record and some of his other work, I was also, I couldn't believe it because I, for yeah. years I had this certain image of him. There's really so much more to him than that, but I'll give a little background on him. He was born in 1949 in Batley, England, grew up in Scarborough, England. And his father was a British naval intelligence officer. And that's an interesting detail because his first exposure to like the American soul and blues and jazz music that he loved was through American Forces Radio. Mm. So basically his father's American counterparts were listening to this radio, listening wow. to this music, and that's how he got turned on to it. And he, and he started performing at a very young age. And I think he's a product of an interesting time in England. I mean, English artists loved American soul and blues and R&B going back to the 50s. But especially in Northern England Scot- and Scotland, when you when they so, say Northern Soul, that was a particular time, late 60s, early 70s. You had so many bands that were playing really like authentic styled blues and R&B and soul music. And I think Robert Palmer is a product of that particular time, that era. And he, he started playing in bands from the age of 15 years old. He was, he was in a band called the Mandrakes. Then he joined a band called the Alan Brown Set in 1969. He joined a jazz rock band, 12-piece jazz rock band called Dada in 1970. So he was just a guy who was singing, honing his craft as a as a vocalist first and foremost, but as a musician, songwriter. And then a few of the members of Dada formed a band, Vinegar Joe. Uh, it was just like a soul rock band. And that was a band that signed to Island Records. And they actually okay. released like three records, didn't have a lot of commercial success, but that was important for Robert Palmer because then when that... After that band kind of ran its course, they signed him as a solo artist. And then came the debut, Sneaking Sally Through the Eye. But before we get back to that, I do want to give like a little bit of an overview. Because yeah. I think a lot of people miss out on what a great artist this guy was. Uh, you know, in the late 70s, and he, if you look at his overall career, he had an incredible range, an incredible versatility in what he could do. And he could deliver in so many different styles. Like in the late 70s, he went a little more into the sort of reggae and Caribbean influences with uh, albums Pressure Drop, Double Fun. And then in the 80s, he started to get more into that rock sound. That, uh, oh, see, uh, another, we got another Robert Palmer fan back there. Yeah, huge. He loves him. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking asshole. The dog is such an asshole. And if he only knew, my wife and I agree on the house. It's got an extra bedroom that we need. We were saying... Do we give Rebel his own bedroom? Yeah. That little guy, he doesn't even know. We're thinking about giving him a bedroom. He's a fucking dog. He's got it good. Yeah. Anyway. You're right. simply irresistible. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm in on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the start of the 80s, you know, his earlier music was a little more in the soul R&B sound. Then he kind of started getting these island influences. The 80s was where he started to hone in that sound 
that gave him his greatest commercial success, kind of the more sleek, as you put it, James Bond kind of thing. I mean, he was in a group, like a super group at that time. This was more towards the mid-'80s with a group called The Power Station with uh, Andy Taylor and John Taylor from Duran Duran and uh, Tony Thompson, who was a drummer of Chic. So... I don't think he toured with them, but they made a record together. That was like a seminal time, but really the big, big Robert Palmer records were Heavy Nova in 85 and yep. Riptide in 88. And of course, the two iconic singles slash videos were... Uh, Addicted to Love and Simply yep. Irresistible. And I remember seeing those videos like. The lights are on, but you're not home. You're mine, not your own. Your heart sweats, your body shakes. The There's something going on here. Like it was, it was smooth, so polished. But it had like a swagger and like an attitude, and he was in these dapper suits, and he had these models dancing behind. I was like, "But you, you said it perfectly. He's like a James Bond of pop soul singing or something." And dude, the lyrics: "She's so fine, there's no telling where the money went." Like, yeah, <laughs> so good. There was something like borderline, like pompous about it, almost. Yes, uh, but in a in a great way, in a really. Mm-hmm satisfying way so i think in a way even though those were his biggest hits and that was his greatest success commercially at that time in a way that era i think works against him in his overall in the overall perception of him it and he to. continued making records uh until 2003 when he sadly passed away but he, he had a range he would certain records he would go more into like a rock direction he had the soul r&b sound he did an album of standards but I think of everything I've heard of his, my favorite thing is Sneaking Salad Through the Alley. And that was his debut album. Now, mind you, like this was a debut album, but he'd already been working for about a decade at this point. Hmm. So he was seasoned as a performer. He'd been in different bands. I think what sets this record aside is it's as much about who worked on this record with him as it is about him. And I mean that in the best way in that he held his own with a legendary group of musicians. Half of this album was recorded in New Orleans, the other half was recorded in New York. And the house band in New Orleans was The Meters. You know, Art Neville on keys, Leo Nocentelli on guitar, George Porter Jr. on bass guitar, and Ziggy Modalest on drums. Now, when you think of The Meters, to me, Meters are probably, in my opinion, the greatest instrumental unit, at least in the, at least in the history of R&B and soul music. I mean, when you think of just the influence they had in that New Orleans sound, but way beyond that, yeah. Soul, funk, they're one of the most sampled bands by hip-hop artists. They had a way of locking into a groove that was singular, and you hear that on this record. And then the other half of the album is what was called the New York Rhythm Section, and that was Richard T. on piano, Cornell Dupree on guitar, uh, Gordon Edwards on bass guitar, and Bernard Purdy on drums. Now, also a legendary collaboration of musicians, I mean, especially Bernard Purdy and Cornell Dupree, these guys played on so many classic records, especially during that time. So I, I, I kind of feel like, oh, and I shouldn't forget, Lowell George of Little Feet is on five of the eight tracks here. So you have this like amazing group of musicians on this band. I kind of feel like this is like a musical document 
of sorts, you know, yeah. uh, because it's a cross section of all these great musicians who were in their prime at this moment, and they all kind of came together to work on this record with Robert Robert Palmer. Just to go through some of the highlights on this one, I think the strongest part of the record is the front part of it. The first three tracks are kind of like a trilogy, like a musical Dude, trilogy. In I, your notes I, as well, <laughs> uh, the same thing. I, I I really like it, but the first three songs, how they fade into each other, yep. and just like the vibe. You, when I was editing the the pod that came out, the one with Pink Floyd, and you were talking about song suites and all that, right. and like we we couldn't really nail down what it was. Like these first three songs felt like whatever you were trying to describe, even though there are three separate songs, like they all fit together and the vibe is just so fucking cool. Yeah. Like it's like a revelation about of how fucking cool it is. You know? It's it's all heavy vibe. It's interesting too, these three songs. Yeah, you could say this is a song suite. I think maybe maybe even more than the Pink Floyd uh, album, mm-hmm. I think this is a better example of that. I think you hit it right on the head with that because sailing shoes Put on your sailing Everyone will start to cheer when It's interesting because all three songs are written by three different people. So it's amazing how they just meld together. It shows the spirit of collaboration in this record because Sailing Shoes is written by Lowell George. It was actually recorded by Little Feet a couple years before. Oh, but wow. I, I like this version as much, if not more, than Little Feet's version. That's saying a lot, too. Hey, Julie is a Robert Palmer song. And then, of course, the title track, my favorite track. On the record, sneaking Sally through the alley. That's an Alan Toussaint song. That's an interesting song lyrically, too, because it's a song about infidelity, but normally when writers address that subject matter comes from a place of regret or remorsefulness or wanting to make amends. And this song is just like the guy, he's just accepting that he messed up. You know, there's just a, a resignation to it. But I, I, ultimately, I think this, that song is all about the groove. It's like the, the, the track is almost like a hook in and of itself. The that whole thing. I mean... That, that track also has something that we've talked about with uh, D'Angelo and with Sly and the Family Stone. And that's the thing of everybody playing just behind the beat. Yeah. Actually, yeah. That's, yeah, it does. It, that's an amazing example of that thing that keeps coming up on some of the records that, that we've discussed. It's like everybody's just behind the beat, so it creates this really deep pocket. And then, I mean, that, that front section is really the core of the album. There's another song on there a little bit later called Get Outside. It has like mm-hmm. sort of a laid back bluesy feel and it kind of it's a song about being sort of directionless or restless. I kind of, I feel like the music the energy of the song fits that emotion. And then the last track is Through It All There's You and that's basically like a studio jam with the New York rhythm section. Cover me girl. Through it all. 
It's kind of cool because every song up until that point is pretty tightly constructed and that last track he just lets the band cut loose. And it speaks to something else that I really love about this record. It feels like, it doesn't feel over-rehearsed, you know? It feels like a great group of musicians came in. It doesn't sound like they did a lot of takes. They just knew the tunes, they knew the arrangements, and they locked in and played. And it feels like they were having fun. Mm -hmm. That's what comes across in this record. So I love this album. You know, It seems like a, a party album. It... it it sounds recorded live. It, it sounds does. like it was recorded in front of people, you know? Yep. And not, not just live in that, not track by track by track. It sounds like they were in the same room, but it sounds like they were performing. That, that's the, the vibe that I, that I got from it, you know? It does. It, it's almost like if you were to say, oh, this was recorded live, but maybe you just didn't get a lot of the audience or something, yep. you would believe that. Because it has that thing that it's part of why I love music of the 70s, especially the first half of the 70s so much. Because you didn't have all the digital technology that we have now, which is amazing and allows people to make amazing records in their own home. But you had to, the intention or the focus behind recording was different. You had to, you know, you had to get the arrangement together. You had to like have a feel for playing with the other players in the room. And if you could capture this kind of magic where it was almost the energy of a live show, it, it was really something special. And then you think, again, I get back to a band like The Meters, I mean, they're one of the great live acts of all time. So he had incredible support around him. I just have to say, with Robert Palmer, it's 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 amazing how some artists can almost be unheralded in a way, even though people know who they are. And I feel he's like he's certainly one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because it's a shame that people kind of only know "Addicted to Love" and "Simply Irresistible." This album is awesome, and I could she'll probably deny it. I'm curious to see what she says. My wife did not like it when we started it. Uh-huh. And, and I could have sworn I saw her, like, tapping her foot and her hand, because we were driving to the movies, so it was on, it was almost the whole record when we were listening to it. I thought there were so many different influences in it. You know, you, you brought up a specific set of them, but, like, Hey Julia, I almost even heard, like, Paul Simon yeah. In, in times yeah. along with like the the groove that you're talking about and then there's other times there's a there is rock in there there's other times where there's aerosmith in there now aerosmith is a blues rock band of course there's there's going to be things that are you know sort of the same but i i just i heard a an incredibly seamless melding there are a lot of good albums what, I do this all the time. I know from editing now where I start sentences and I start other sentences. <laughs> There's a lot of good albums that meld all different kinds of music, but you can hear them melding the music. Right. It's, like, it's a little more obvious or, the, or, or at its worst, it can be almost contrived. Like, oh, they're trying to do this. And that is an album like Common's Electric Circus. He's melding all these things. You hear him doing it and it's not bad, but... It, and it's good, but that's why it walks the line where some people think it's corny because it doesn't feel, there's something that feels forced about it. Hmm. There's nothing forced about all of the melding together in there. Like this is a seamless combination of all of the different forms of music that is in there. And when you hear, when I hear little bits of everything in there, it's amazing because it it is so seamless within 
whatever this is. I wouldn't even know how to describe this music to somebody. Right. Like, it's, it's like, you know what it does? It's, it's an interesting point. Music is more satisfying when you don't hear the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in a record where you can hear the intention behind it, you can almost, if you've listened to a lot of music or you've worked on a lot of records, it, you know, you, you almost can probably connect to that even more, you know, because you and I have absorbed so much music. So we recognize when something feels just innate in the way it's being presented or you can almost see that it was concocted in the lab, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think... It's interesting with this, it's a testament to these musicians, Robert Palmer and these players, because with this, a record like this, you're right, there is no, oh, it's a soul track here, and it's a rock thing here, and it's, oh, it's almost like a Paul Simon thing. They're all, you see that there's actually a thread behind all those things. I mean, blues and R&B, gospel, the, rock and roll, those are all kind of the same thing. Right, right, When right, you right. break them down, uh, you know... They're all threads that come from the same place, but there aren't a lot of records that necessarily just do that without showing the intention. Right. It just is. Yeah. You know, it just is. It's so, it's such a good album. It, it really it, is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. I was stunned about how much I liked it. And um, I agree with you. It is the first half of the album that really fucking sings. And mostly the first three songs. The whole album's good. And when we're talking about three songs, that's half the record anyway. Right, There's eight, only eight, eight tracks in all. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had no idea that he was like this. I really only knew those. I knew, uh, what did we say? Simply Irresistible, Addicted to Love, and then there was another one. Um, From that same era? He had yeah. Oh, Bad of Case of Loving You. Oh yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. I forgot that he. That's a that was a cover, I think. Right? Yeah. Oh, is it? Was that a cover? I, oh I, yeah, it is. It is. But I know yeah. that one. Like I know that that cover. But so. they were all in the James Bond mode. Mm-hmm. James Bond. That's a, that's the perfect way to describe it. Robert Palmer's James Bond era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. I I immediately vaulted this to a, a ten Mutlu record. Nice, nice. I'm yeah. I'm one thousand Mutlus on this one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Off the scale again. Off the scale. Just a great suggestion. I appreciate the suggestion. Right on. I'm glad you dug yeah. it. Yeah, dug it a lot. Listener album. Fountains of Wayne's self-titled debut, again, from Apple Podcast user, what's actually his name, Dustin Godsey. You can suggest yours by leaving it in the Apple Podcast reviews, along with five stars. Ray, stoned all day, two hairdressers and a Chevrolet for a while. I think Joe Ray. Pretty much everybody's heard of Fountains of Wayne. At the very least, you know Stacy's mom. If you're moot loser my age, you probably know a few more songs because of when they were popular and the era they were popular. This is their their first album, came out in 1996. Fountains of Wayne starts in, well, well the, the two main songwriters, who are Chris Collingswood and Adam Schlesinger, meet at, I think, University of Massachusetts or something. 
there was a little bit there, but it, it wasn't until they met again in New York City a couple years later when they decided to perform together and form the Fountains of Wayne. They are the two primary songwriters. Now, I have to say at the top, Adam Schlesinger passed away a year ago due to COVID-19 complications. So that was in April of 2020. And they had not played a show since 2013 after that. They had been in like hiatus. I guess they never announced their breakup, but they had been in in sort of a, a hiatus. And it's the only time they've played since. They played in a, a like a COVID benefit, an online COVID relief benefit. I thought it was neat how they said, Interviews with them are, are sort of weird. Those are the two primary songwriters, but they did not write together. They determined very early on they would each write their own songs. That's interesting. I thought that I didn't realize that. I thought that was like a co-writing partnership. No, they wow. they wrote their own songs. That's so this album is basically half Chris and half out half Adam, huh. which is which is neat that they write songs that can be part of one cohesive collection of work or even one band. They can say, oh, this is a Fountains of Wayne song or this is a Fountains of Wayne song. And uh, and I, I've, I've never really heard that before. I'm sure it, it happens, but I've never really heard it before. Collingswood is the singer and rhythm guitar player and uh, Schlesinger is the, the bass player and obviously a songwriter as well. Adam Schlesinger also wrote a legendary song, one of the best songs from a movie of all time, he wrote That Thing You Do Yeah, <laughs> from That Thing You Do. Such an amazing pop song. It's like channeling all the Beatles energy, but it's mm-hmm. like the great hit that they didn't write, you know? Yep. It's an amazing song. Well, I try and try to forget you, girl, but it's just so hard to do. Every time you do that thing you do. And I, I, you mentioned the Beatles. Like I thought, there was a good quote from Collingswood later on. Oh, is not that not there? I don't think it's in there. He mentioned the the Kinks at some point. I think they were. I think Chris Collingswood was pretty heavily Kinks influenced. So they were a part of when you think about the time that this came out, an era of music or a genre of music that I don't think gets talked about very often, and it is sort of the power pop of the 90s with sort of a smirk, like a bit of a sense of humor. And Marvelous 3 were in there, a Butch Walker band, but like... Nerf Herder was in there. Lit was in there. Matthew Sweet didn't have that much of a sense of humor, but again, mid-90s power pop. And everybody thinks about the grunge and then the skip ahead to new metal 
and then the Lilith Fair era, which was in there. But this, there are a good number of bands that like fit into this, you know, that all sound like Harvey Danger or, and I don't, I don't say that dismissively, but like this group, like this power pop era that happened in the nineties that doesn't really get talked about. But as, as they mentioned in an interview, I think it was uh, Collingswood that mentioned in an interview, record labels were spending money on these bands. These bands worked, they sold records, they got on the radio, all that stuff. So I thought there's something very, I think as you're listening to this particular album, very suburban about it. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You know? This is and not a I, city. This is not something that was created in a city. No, and I thought Chris Collinswood gave a great quote about the album. Oh, he did say the Kings. I think the specifics give the record, the specifics of the record give the record a sense of time and place. I had this fascination with the kinks for a little while, and it occurred to me years later that all the quirks of language and the places I'd never been made it more fascinating, when to them it was just their little neighborhood. I realized there's value in any mundane experience if you look at it the right way. And I thought that was a really good quote because I think they do paint pictures. Oh, yeah. You know, almost like a, sometimes I think of the movie The Burbs, like <laughs> like all these things going on that you don't know about from the outside, but there's all these lives that are going on inside of it. And they're obviously incredible pop songwriters. Just incredible from the top of the album, which... I think was probably their first single, Radiation Vibe. Which is just a fantastically written pop rock song, which goes right into Sink, sink to the Bottom. another fantastically written pop rock song with sort of like maybe not snarky lyrics but with a wink you know they're not yeah. we, we talk about having a sense of humor but not being a joke band i right. think that they fit into that and they're serious uh, musically there's real yes. craftsmanship in what they do mhm and i think my favorite song of the album because it it reminds me of the front bottoms, is the ability to write sort of like bouncy music with heavy lyrics. And there's a song called She's Got a Problem. Yeah, that was my favorite song too, man. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I love that tune because it was it's what you said. It's that that dichotomy of talking about something that's very heavy, but with these like bright major chord kind of sort of sort of a bright major chord sound behind it and these bright kind of melodies. It almost makes what he's talking about 
you know, feeling this concern for someone who he feels is self-destructive, it makes it like more digestible in a way. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a device. It's a device that I didn't, it didn't even occur to me to think of the front bottoms, but they do that constantly. That record totally. that we did is all about that. Yeah. And I almost think the music has like, of this particular song has like a surf rock vibe. It, it reminded me of Matthew Sweet at times, like he, that it would be played on a Fender Jaguar or something like that. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and the lyrics, I know a girl who you've got to keep an eye on. Every time she goes outside, she barely gets home alive. She's got a problem and she's going to do something dumb. Like that's heavy. That's it is. You know, it, yeah. it's I, I listen to that tune and it is a, it's almost a little disorienting because it, it has the, the musical element behind it is mm-hmm. you're expecting something cheery, you know, upbeat, oppy. Yeah. And and then when you dissect what he's saying lyrically, he, it sounds like he's afraid someone he cares about is gonna commit suicide. And those are mm-hmm. some that's a dark subject matter to to write about. Just uh but yet somehow I, I don't know, it's it doesn't feel as heavy-handed or something. Or something. It's tough to pinpoint if it's just the way it's presented, or just that he's that good of a lyricist that it doesn't feel heavy-handed. But that is a heavy subject matter. So they went on to in 2003 is when Stacy's mom came out, which is a great song, but you know, almost turns this band that had several like hit-like songs into a a band that is defined by their one hit that everybody remembers, which, by the way, is another fucking hilarious song. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Not joke. is is a great song that I, I wish I hadn't heard six billion times. Uh, I had never... I'm sure I'd listened to this album in the 90s. I hadn't listened to it since the 90s, and Radiation Vibe put me right back into the place that I was when I first heard it, you know? Yeah, it's a moment. It's like a pop culture, pop music moment, and... I, I'll be honest. I really just knew Stacy's mom. That's oh, really? You know, it's kind of like interesting. We're talking about Robert Palmer and and Fountains of Wayne because a lot of people have no clue of the range of what Robert Palmer did, and it's kind of the same with this band. I mean, this is a great record. I had no, I'd never really checked this album out. I knew Stacy's mom. I knew that thing you do, mm-hmm. but that was it. And uh, at times, I it kind of put me in the same place as Weezer. You know, there's a there's sort of like the distorted, fuzzy kind of guitars and sort of big melodies, but there's always almost like a a self-deprecating element to, to the songs and to the characters in the songs, you know? And I like that. There's something compelling about that, something that's big and poppy, but it's, it's, it's not jokey and it does have the wink in it, but it's also like these guys just don't take themselves that seriously, even though they're writing and performing at a high level. There's a like two lines. There's a song called "You Curse It Girls" later on, which I think is awesome. And there's a line that goes, uh, "Each time you curse at girls, you curse a little at yourself." And just like <laughs> somebody turns a phrase like that on this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good song. There, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. This is a pretty like straightforward kind of music that with great songs, and I don't know too much what to say about it other than they are 
among the best at what they do. And I, co- I compare them to other bands earlier just to put them in a place in time. But those bands, save for Marvelous Three, who are wonderful, who we'll, we'll do another time, but, but those bands have one or two songs that hit the notes that Fountains of Wayne hit almost every time like in every song, you know, like they have this one moment or these two moments, but Fountains of Wayne hit it in almost every song they have on the album. Yeah, then there's other songs that are more on the tongue-in-cheek side, but still so compelling to me, like Leave the Biker, you know, mm-hmm. that song is, you get a picture of what they're talking about straight away. We're, we're talking about this with like Andrew McMahon and some of the other writers that we dig. Uh, Butch Walker really does it. Yep. You know, uh, sh- the showing and not telling, you know, giving yep. you an image like uh, he's got his arm around every woman, every man's dream and crumbs in his beard from the seafood special, you know, <laughs> lines like that. Like, like, I know what he's talking about. I, I can picture it. You can see it. Yeah. And, and, and just the concept of that song, it's like he, he's he's into this girl and sh- he's hoping that she's going to leave this biker and you kind of picture the biker and it's just such a strange concept for a song. It's like, you know please leave the biker so we can be together, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> I just, there's a, there. this is a really, this is a really satisfying listen start to finish. And I like that it's not super long-winded or anything. It's 35, 36 minutes. I mean, every song pretty much delivers on here. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it, the, the two albums total. Uh, I remember the, the day that I went to listen to them both. I like, the first listen I was like, one was to the movies and one was home. And there it was the entire album, both times. So then the the second time, I don't know what your process is, but mine is like the first one, to the first time through is like, what's the vibe? Yeah. What am I listening for? And then the second time through, now then that I know what I'm listening for, I listen for it and find it. Yeah, so I, I do a similar thing. Sometimes even when I'm first listening, if something really catches me, I want to maybe go back and key in on it. I think it kind of unlocks the magic there. But yeah, it's good to just listen and and absorb the overall picture of it and then kind of micro-listen after that because yeah. there's always certain tunes that stand out that kind of define a record. I don't know if uh, Leave the Biker is one of those on this. It's just such a strange, <laughs> kind of funny song that... like. I wonder if she ever did. Yeah, hopefully she did. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and love love was in the air after that. Um, well, that's all I got for that one. That was good. Thank you, Dustin. That I'm not that giving that ten moot lose. I'm actually sort of embarrassed. I I hadn't really like that the the record is not part of my what's the word I'm looking for catalog is wrong, but it it should be part of my like ethos. I should know this album very well and better than I did. Yeah, and I'm embarrassed to say I really just knew Stacy's mom and that thing you do. So this wow. is a rev- I know that's really bad. So this was a great pick and. Uh, yeah, and thank you, Dustin, for getting to the heart of what the Carl is all about. I, I love now and again. There's, I love all the reviews and uh, just the feedback we get. Uh, but you know that that really touched on the essence, I think, of of what we're trying to do, and what just happened. You know, it's all in motion as we're talking because here I discovered a band that I didn't really know much about beyond a couple songs, and uh, this is definitely a record to keep coming back to, and I think they only have, like, what, three or four other albums. They didn't yeah. make yep. that many records, so... But, um, yeah, great pop songwriting on this. Would love to hear you sing that thing you do. Do you know how to play it? Do you know that song? I should you probably might... learn... Yeah, I, I don't know it, but, I mean, 
I can you doing that thing you do. I mean, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's right in your range. You could sing it. I need well. to. I need to learn that one. That's uh, that needs to go onto the cover list for sure. Well, because the 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 verses are normal, but but like right before in the the bridge or the pre-chorus is when he gets really really high. Oh yeah, when I try and try to forget yeah. you, girl. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, it's such a well-crafted song. So that was. Adam Schlesinger wrote that one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, that yeah. is... I mean, I would love... What's the story behind that? Did they say write us like a Beatles tune? And he... I would I love know. to know what the story, what the process was. And it's such a great movie and a great song. It really is. It really is. The greatest. It's so sad that he passed, man. He was one of the... Yeah. Early in COVID, one of the people like, oh, no, man. And yeah. Because I think he was right about our age, maybe a little bit older, but I think that was it. That's a shame, man. That's really sad. Yeah. All right. If you have an album, make sure you suggest in the iPod, the Apple Podcast reviews. If you don't use Apple, that's okay. That's fine. Go to carlandryrecordclub.com where we have all of the albums we've reviewed listed and all of the podcasts and our uh, interview pods. I feel like we're maybe due for an artist interview at some point. I feel like we haven't yeah, had yeah. one in a while. Yeah, it's been, I, it's been quite a while. Yeah. I'm going to chase down an Australian. Yes. Yes, dude. Come on. Australian artists and music have been a threat since we started. What happened? What happened with um, the guy? He is a solo from Silverchair. Oh, ben, ben Gillies. He's gone like pretty like dark on social media. I heard oh. he just had twins, uh-huh. so maybe that's why. There's there's another artist I really like named Amy Shark who sings with an Australian accent, which I really appreciate because mm. most times the accents are gone. Um, she has a new album. I just I feel like we we have to get an Australian artist, some Australian. Yeah. There's a lot of options out there. So yeah, there yeah. is. <laughs> um, so we'll try. All right, uh, that's it. We're done for today. Stay free, my goose.